What's going on, people? Welcome back to the Sports Gamble Ramble. We got another exciting episode here, SGR 97. We're doing the Cleveland Browns today, and then we will be done with our 32-team previews for the NFL season. The Browns, man, do they give us a lot of drama this offseason. Let's let's go ahead and address it. Elephant in the room for the episode, uh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, uh, what do you guys want me to say about this? Tough situation. You know, I'm not going to sit here and give any political views or personal views or anything like that. That's not what we're here for on this episode. It's been a crazy situation. I guess the the only real opinions that I want to give about the Deshaun Watson situation, not even close to related to any of the allegations, any of the shit. You know, the reality is that we're dealing with an 11-game suspension for the upcoming season, and I like to be able to compartmentalize things here for you guys. But I will say, you guys know I have a bit of a, I have a bit of a bone to pick um, with the uh, the face of the league here, Mr. Goodell. Um, I don't like many of the decisions that this guy makes. I don't like the way that he runs the NFL, and I'm not afraid to say it. And this whole process, bit of a shit show from the beginning, right? I mean, the whole arbitration and the the whole bringing in Judge Sue Robinson and let's create a new process for the NFLPA in terms of how we're going to handle these disciplinary, you know, hearings and procedures. And then through the entire dog and pony show, Sue Robinson recommends six games based on NFL precedent of nonviolent, you know, um, conduct violations. And then Roger Goodell says, no, 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 no. Twitter is very mad at me right now. Like the internet wants me hung publicly. And so we need to we need to up this suspension a little bit. So what do they do? They go from a six game suspension to an 11 game suspension. And once we get into the schedule here, we can talk about that key matchup for his return in week 13. But what do they do? They schedule it against the fucking Houston Texans, because all Roger Goodell wants from this is to make sure that Twitter doesn't get too pissed off at him and that we're not talking about how horrible of a job Goodell is at, you know, rep, you know, respecting I don't know the views of the public. I'm trying to dance around this without getting too deep into, you know, opinionated stuff out there. I'm not trying I'm trying to walk the line down the middle here for you guys. But what I'm saying is the only reason Roger Goodell went and expanded that suspension is from a PR standpoint. He just wants people to not be angry with the league. He wants people to think that he's handling this sensitively enough. And <clears throat> 11 games specific amount, right? Like, why not 10? Why not 12? Um, If he suspends him 12 games, I believe that nulls his uh, contract for the Browns this year. So he technically, he would be on contract for the next year. He only makes $1 million this season based on how his contract is scheduled, but he's he's making uh, like 46 mil in bonuses. And if he were suspended for 12 games or more, I think that year of the contract gets delayed to next year. So I guess, you know, Goodell and the boys looking out for the Browns, looking out for Watson's pockets over there. And then... Again, 11 games, just super convenient that this turns out where Deshaun Watson's return is week 13 against his former team, the Texans, down in Houston. This whole thing was a fugaze just to generate ratings and headlines. It's pretty clear it was a work as people in the wrestling industry call it. You know, this was a move made for entertainment purposes and and PR and the generation of public interest and revenue and conversation. It's it's just very transparent. Roger Goodell, um, just bad for football. 
bad for the world. But Deshaun Watson is now the quarterback of the Cleveland Browns. If we can move forward and get a little bit more analytical here with this discussion. Baker Mayfield, obviously, some crazy shit happened with him. It's kind of convenient that we just did our Panthers episode yesterday. It ties in nicely. Baker Mayfield traded this offseason to the Panthers for a conditional draft pick, fourth or fifth round, based on playtime incentives. The Browns are actually paying this guy $10 million to play against them in week one this season, while Carolina only picks up about five mil off that contract. And in the meantime, they turn around and they give Deshaun Watson a five-year, $230 million contract, fully guaranteed, while he misses the first 11 games for this franchise. And on top of it, obviously, just the terrible you know, public perception and all the controversy that comes with that decision. You're really kind of just making a decision to alienate and split half of your fan base right there. And it's just awkward in Cleveland, right? It's awkward. And this episode is awkward. I understand. But we're going to get through it. We're going to talk football. We're going to try and keep it between, you know, the dash, the hash marks here for this episode. You know, we'll try at least. So, Before we dive into the results of last year, let's put a bow on this whole Watson conversation. The details of the trade here, Deshaun Watson and a 2024 sixth round pick get sent over to the Browns. The Browns give the Texans a 2022 first round pick, number 13 overall in the draft, and a 2022 fourth round pick. They also get a 2023 first and third, and a 2024 first and fourth. So that is three first rounders, a third, and two fourth rounders for Deshaun Watson and a sixth, and here's $230 million, regardless of what happens, Deshaun. Interesting moves by um, a franchise that has been known in the past to be a bit dysfunctional. Baker, I gave my thoughts on the Panthers episode. I don't like Baker. I don't like how he handled his, uh, you know, the really the last year or so in Cleveland. I understand that he has a chip on his shoulder and that Maybe he didn't appreciate some of the disrespect that Cleveland was showing him um, after he has, you know, tried to play through injuries for them. He got them to the playoffs. I get it. But, you know, Baker's never done anything special, really. Like, I think a lot of QBs could have got that team to the playoffs. I don't really think it was a Baker thing. So this team wanted to make an upgrade at quarterback, and that's what they did. You know, was it the right decision? Who fucking knows? That's not for me to say here again. But let's talk numbers. Let's talk about this football team. What did they do last year? What are they going to do this year? Let's get through it here. The Cleveland Browns last year went 8-9, 3rd in the AFC North, 11th in the AFC, did not make the playoffs. They covered 7-10 against the spread, 41.2% cover rate. The offense was 20th in points per game, 20.5. 18th in yards per game, 340.6 offensive yards per game. Defense, 13th in points per game, 21.8. Fifth in yards per game, 311.5. This is a good defense on paper. The roster is pretty good overall on paper, and I think that's part of the reason this team was willing to kind of go all in on a franchise quarterback here because realistically, again, pretty good team assembled here. Baker, to me, is not a guy that's going to get you over the hump, and I think it's pretty clear The front office here, you know, owner Jimmy Haslam, GM Andrew Barry, I think they viewed it the same way. There's been um, quite a bit of traction to the story that Kevin Stefanski was not a Baker guy. 
Can you blame them? I can't really, to be honest. So again, this defense, fifth in yards per game last year. They only finished 13th in points per game allowed because uh, this team had a negative three turnover margin tied for 20th in the league. I think specifically that Packers-Browns game on Christmas, the Browns had a chance to win a game um, against the Packers despite Baker throwing four goddamn interceptions. So... Um, yeah, this team was, you know, trying to overcome the quarterback position. And I mentioned Baker playing through some injuries, yada, yada, yada. Fact is product on the field was not great. So this defense had to carry the team to an eight and nine record last year. The coaching staff is entirely returning. So we don't have to cover anything there. Kevin Stefanski, I believe in his third year as head coach with the Browns. I hope I'm not forgetting a year there. Um, done a pretty good job, actually, uh, coach of the year in his first year with Cleveland, getting them to the playoffs. Uh, let's talk personnel. We have spent enough time on the Baker and Watson situation. We don't have to include them in this section. I chose to get them out of the way early for you guys. And like I said, address the elephant in the room early in this episode. So key losses in free agency and in the offseason here for the Browns. Tight end Austin Hooper went over to the Titans. Fullback Andy Janovich no longer on this team. Wide receiver Jarvis Landry obviously going over to the Saints this offseason. Um, requesting a release. I, if I remember that correctly, he said, fuck this, I'm done in Cleveland. Um, wide receiver Rashad Higgins uh, went down to Carolina and is now with uh, his boy Baker down there. Cornerback MJ Stewart, defensive end Afedi Odenigbo, and uh, yeah, QB Baker Mayfield, the last name that I wrote down here. So those are the losses, and honestly, not many big names. Austin Hooper, that was a terrible contract, you know, super overpaid, did not do much for this team over the last two years, really. Was used more as a blocking tight end, and it's just you're not going to pay a blocking tight end, like, top four money at the position. So makes sense to get that contract off the books. And honestly, uh, David Njoku uh, slotted in to be the starting tight end here for this team. He's a guy that this you know, the Browns drafted um, with uh, first round draft capital, if I remember that right. He was part of that uh, really star-studded tight end draft class of, of uh, Njoku, Evan Ingram, and I believe O.J. Howard. Those guys really all panned out, didn't they? But Njoku's a physical freak. He um, looks like a chiseled Greek god with his shirt off. He's like the second coming of Shannon Sharp just from a physical standpoint. Um, but Hasn't put it all together yet. He's the starter. And then Harrison Bryant, the second tight end here, who's a young guy, I think can be a pretty good guy too. So I don't think that's a big loss as far as losing Austin Hooper. Um, who did they bring in this offseason aside from Deshaun Watson? Well, obviously backup quarterback is Jacoby Brissett. They bring him in as an insurance policy, not knowing what the suspension would look like. Brissett will be the starter of the first 11 games. We got wide receiver Amari Cooper as the new de facto number one receiver for this team with Jarvis and OBJ both being gone from this roster. Um, Amari Cooper, they trade uh, with the Dallas Cowboys, and all they, uh, all they have to give up there is a fifth and a sixth round pick for Cooper and a sixth in return. So realistically, Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick. Um, when this happened, I was shocked. There were so many teams in the NFL that would be willing to give up more than a fifth round pick for Cooper. It's almost like the Cowboys just didn't even bother to look around the league. They just took the first offer that they got from Cleveland. So I'll say, you know, they pick up the contract on the books, but this Browns team clearly willing to spend money right now. And for a fifth round pick, you know, you are getting 
pretty solid replacement, even an upgrade over Jarvis Landry at the middle of, or at this point in, in their respective careers, I think. Who else did they bring in? Wide receiver Jakeem Grant. Uh, defensive tackle Taven Bryan looks to be a starter on that D-line. Uh, QB Josh Dobbs to add more depth. It looks to me, you know, three quarterbacks with relatively similar skill set. Watson, Brissett, Dobbs, all relatively mobile. Brissett, the least mobile of those three. But I've talked on previous episodes about teams, you know, at least using their brains a little bit when putting their quarterback room together. It wouldn't make sense for Deshaun Watson to be your starter and then have Joe Flacco as your fucking backup and have to completely restruct an entirely different offense based on having a statue back there versus a mobile guy. So I like the fact that the Browns are willing to, you know, put together a QB room of three guys with relatively um, similar skill sets. Uh, defensive end Steven Weatherly, offensive guard Ethan Pochich, um, defensive end Isaac Rochelle, and punter Cody Bohorquez would round out the additions this offseason. They re-signed three key names here. Davion Clowney came back to this team after not getting a contract in free agency. Looks like this is the best fit for him at this point in his career. He gets to play opposite Miles Garrett. He's probably not going to get a better situation. That D-line overall, pretty strong unit. Um, safety Ronnie Harrison they bring back. They have a pretty strong safety core there with John Johnson the third, Grant Delpit, and Ronnie Harrison as a you know a very strong safety trio there. The secondary as a whole, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, and Greedy Williams there, pretty solid. Uh, Denzel Ward, very good player. Newsom, second year player. Greedy Williams, I think third year player, hasn't really returned on his potential that they've been hoping for. We'll see if Newsom can pick up the slack, but that's a pretty strong secondary there on this team. Again, the defense really at all three layers, pretty strong. And defensive tackle Sheldon Day, they re-sign to stay in rotation on that D-line. Although I'm not seeing him on the depth chart, so forgive me if that's inaccurate. I don't see Sheldon Day here, so let's just fucking keep moving on. Um, let's talk draft. Okay, so the, the, the Deshaun Watson trade obviously kind of fucks up your draft plans when you give away your first round pick. Um, they didn't have a second rounder in this draft either based on my research here. So round three was their first pick in this draft. They take cornerback Martin Emerson out of Mississippi State. Uh, Martin Emerson here is on that second tier of the depth chart. Um, so Ward and Newsom, the starting corners, and then Greedy Williams and Emerson looking to battle it out for that third corner role. Not sure who they'll play in the slot if they'll, you know, keep Ronnie Harrison in rotation and keep three safeties on the field more, more often than not. That that to me looks like probably the plan. We see more teams, you know, <clears throat> being willing to carry three safeties rather than a slot corner. And, you know, just it, it gives you a little bit more, uh, you know, opportunity to mix up coverages, I guess, if you get a versatile guy like that at the safety position who can come come down and cover. Um, yeah, uh, draft. Let's keep it moving. Round three, wide receiver David Bell out of Purdue. You know, I've heard some chatter about him being possibly a sleeper for fantasy this year. I guess a lot of people like his tape. You know, he looks like kind of a possession guy to me. I'm not seeing that much as far as like open field explosion, athleticism, being able to create moves after the catch. He was making some pretty strong catches, in my opinion, at Purdue off of the little tape that I watched here. But 
third round pick and uh, the receiving core here, not that strong to me, honestly. Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, second-year player that flashed last year out of Michigan. And then David Bell. After that, it's Anthony Schwartz and a hodgepodge of guys that I really am not familiar with. And I don't know. Um, I'm not that optimistic about like the passing offense here and the receiving core. You got Brissett throwing to Cooper, Peoples-Jones, and a rookie third-round pick. It's not that impressive this offense obviously built through the running game and to round out our draft recap round four defensive tackle perion winfrey out of oklahoma this is a guy that i am surprised to have seen slip to the fourth round of the draft winfrey based on my draft research i had expected to go maybe late second early third round and the browns get him in the fourth They've got a couple draft values recently. They get Perry on Winfrey all the way down in the fourth here, and they also had Jeremiah Wusu koromoa arguably the best coverage linebacker in last year's draft, fall all the way to pick 53 in the second round last year. That's highway robbery. Um, so getting some good value here the last two years in the draft. Good job, Cleveland. Andrew Barry is the GM for this team. Uh, he's a former front office exec- executive with the Eagles. So I've, you know, followed him a little bit as an Eagles fan, and I like what he's doing. I like how this Browns team approaches most things from a front office standpoint recently since uh, Barry's been brought over. (laughs) Let's put an asterisk on that sentence, to say the least, because there's been some interesting moves done this summer. Let's talk schedule. Let's talk win totals and futures for this team. Now that we've gone through the personnel, this team has a bye in week nine. Obviously, their first 11 games will be with Jacoby Brissett, and their last six will be with Deshaun Watson here. Um, According to the rankings that I have researched, they have the eighth easiest schedule this year. There are some layups here. There are some cupcake teams. I will not lie. They have matchups against the Panthers, Jets, Falcons. To be honest, that's kind of where the cupcakes end. Excuse me. Texans, too. Okay. So, like, let's just go through the whole schedule. Panthers week one in the Baker Mayfield revenge game. That should be interesting. They get the Jets, Steelers, Falcons. That's a pretty soft opening, those first four weeks. It begins to get more difficult from there. Chargers, Patriots, Ravens, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks. That's a pretty brutal stretch. I expect the Dolphins to be better this year under Mike McDaniel. Then we get a um then we get a, you know the Deshaun Watson game. I was going to say bye, but that's in week 9. We get Deshaun Watson coming back week 13 at Houston. What do I need to say about that? It'll be interesting to hear what chance and what signs the the Texans crowd brings out. Texans not known to be the most rambunctious fan base in the league, but it's going to be hilarious to see all how every crowd reacts. Even the crowds in Cleveland, I'm not sure how they're going to react to this guy stepping on the field. Man, it's going to be reality TV in the NFL this year. You know, on top of just the fucking wild offseason that we've had, I I can't wait for kickoff this year. But week 13, you think that'll be covered a little bit? You think we'll get a few headlines? You think we'll get a couple Twitter interactions there? Maybe a little bit of boost in the notifications there for the old uh, NFL? Um, You know, a few articles written about that. So 
I, I can't imagine ESPN talks about anything else that week. Anything. It will be like A block, B block, C block for four hours a day. Deshaun Watson's return. That's the story. So, you know, we have that to look forward to. The schedule wraps up with the Bengals, Ravens, Saints, Commanders, and Steelers. So the games that Watson will play, Texans, Bengals, Ravens, Saints, Commanders, Steelers. And if we go back, I mean, I don't think that this team is beating, you know, Chargers, Patriots, Ravens, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills, Buccaneers with with Jacoby Brissett. I just don't. So I'm leaning towards under for this team on win totals. I didn't mention the number yet because it's shifted so much this summer. Obviously, I've been paying attention to this for the last two months here, really. And it has moved quite a bit with, like, maybe Watson will be suspended X amount of games. Maybe he doesn't play at all this year. So the odds for this team on August 3rd, about 25 days ago, we're over under nine and a half wins, under minus 160, over plus 135. The odds today, Sunday, August 28th, win total eight and a half, under minus 160, over plus 135. So it has dropped identical odds, but an entire game. I selfishly bet this team under nine and a half wins, minus 160 like right as the whole Deshaun Watson appeal thing situation was happening. I scoured my books to try and find someone that hadn't taken the bet offline yet. And I got that value. So I've got a full game of value here. I'm locked in on the Browns under nine and a half wins and for under eight and a half wins. I'll still recommend it. I'll give that out. Sorry, Eric, if you're listening to this, there's just too much drama for this team this year. And the schedule, despite being ranked eighth easiest, I don't see the Steelers twice a year being a layup for this team, like maybe the rankings indicate. You know, the Texans, the Falcons, the Panthers, the Jets, sure, probably manageable games. That Panthers game in Carolina with a chip on Baker Mayfield's shoulder, not a layup. So it's going to be tough for this team. I mentioned that middle of the season stretch is really brutal. And then Texans, Bengals, Ravens, Saints, Commanders, Steelers. I mean, Deshaun Watson coming in without having played at all for this team, besides of some limited snaps in Jacksonville in the preseason, I don't see the chemistry just automatically coming together. I'm worried about Deshaun Watson's mentals for this season. The Jaguars fan base was able to get into his head in a preseason game. If you guys didn't hear the sound clip, from that Jags game there was a a group of fans in the end zone when Watson took the field chanting you sick fuck you sick fuck and Watson was playing like shit and you know it could be rust or he could have been hearing those chants it would be difficult for me to just knock out all those distractions that he's had to deal with court hearings and having his name dragged through the mud and then take into account all the distractions that's going to provide for this entire locker room you don't think these players are tired of answering questions about the QB situation it's uh, I'm not optimistic I feel great about my under nine and a half if you want to take under eight and a half go for it I can't advise any futures on this team to win their division or the Super Bowl or anything like that their odds to win their division have gone from plus 280 back in July up, actually up to plus 230 uh, before we got you know the whole 11 game suspension news and then back down they are plus 370 currently to win their division and in a division like you know, Bengals, Ravens, even Steelers being frisky at times. They, they never lay down, really, even when they're underdogs. 
this is not going to be easy. I don't see this team making the playoffs. They're plus 138 to make the playoffs. Their odds to win their conference in the AFC, plus 2,100, 21 to 1 odds. And their odds to win the Super Bowl are 30 to 1. Uh, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs. So, you know, this for Cleveland, this is this was a long-term gamble. It has to be. You're not getting 11 games out of your starter. Hopefully, maybe this team can bounce back next year once this drama maybe is behind them. But again, a lot of maybes, a lot of ifs and buts and candies and nuts here. You know, if an if was a fifth, the whole world would be drunk. And, I, you know, it doesn't look optimistic for me in Cleveland. So I think the writing's on the walls. I think you guys can see it. Jacoby Brissett, to me, a capable backup, probably one of the better backups in the NFL, but he's a guy that I'm leaning on for like maybe two or three games, not an 11-game stretch. I just can't get that excited about this team. So let's talk fantasy, and let's, you know, there's going to be a caveat for this whole, you know, I, I've, I was kind of trying to figure out how do I approach this episode and this team and this offense, given the quarterback situation. I think it's kind of easy for me. I'm really not drafting any of these guys. Kareem Hunt's probably the guy that I'm interested to hear. And maybe David Njoku if I decide to just take a shot on the talent at the tight end position. But even the receivers, even Amari Cooper, the, the alpha target in this passing game, I'm not interested in. And, and you can't touch the QBs based on the looming situation. So we can run through some numbers here so you guys get a sense of what it looks like. But I don't want to, you know, fixate on the details here in this episode because I'm not interested in this offense this year. The defense, on the other hand, I, I have done zero coverage on fantasy defenses. They have a pretty weak opening schedule here uh, with potentially, a, you know, the Panthers, not the best offense. The Jets, Joe Flacco, the Steelers, who knows what Trubisky or Pickett or anybody looks like, the Falcons. That first four weeks, this defense could be, you know, an elite uh, defense for fantasy. So I'll give you guys that little bonus tip. But um, there's a lot of names here. Watson, Brissett, Chubb, Hunt, the running back duo, the receivers, Cooper, Peoples-Jones, David Bell, the tight ends, Njoku, and Harrison Bryant. And then a couple guys on the depth chart we won't really mention a whole lot. But Ernest Johnson is being drafted running back 76 for fantasy this year. He's a guy that played exceptionally well in limited, uh, limited opportunities last year, and the Browns decided to bring him back. So they are three deep at running back. There's actually been talks of Kareem Hunt. You know, he requested a trade, which we haven't addressed yet. I was kind of saving it for this portion of the episode. <clears throat> I would love, just as a, as a fantasy player, as a football fan, as an Eagles fan, I would love if Kareem Hunt would get traded. And I think, again, I think the Eagles is the best spot for Kareem Hunt. I've been hoping for a goddamn month that the Eagles would trade for Kareem Hunt. It is the perfect fit. We need a guy to take that role. Miles Sanders, unfortunately, not that dependable. So if if Nick or if Kareem Hunt gets traded to a starting role, he could produce, you know, it's great potential here. And Dearness Johnson could come into that complimentary role, the 1B to Nick Chubb's 1A. And then Anthony Schwartz, I mentioned, is the fourth receiver on the depth chart. Let's get into some uh, numbers here for this team, okay? Um, how do I want to do this? C quarterbacks, okay. They have the seventh easiest schedule. This Browns team entirely has an easy schedule for fantasy. Seventh easiest for QBs. 15th for running backs. And then fourth easiest schedule for receivers and tight ends. It's a shame that we can't draft these guys, right? Um, Deshaun Watson going 160 in drafts right now. QB 20 off the boards in your fantasy drafts. Who the fuck is spending a fantasy pick on Deshaun Watson? 
Why? Somebody explain it to me. He doesn't play until week 13. You get one regular season game out of Deshaun Watson, and you're praying that he comes in and automatically lights it up for 403 touchdowns to save your fucking fantasy season? Are you kidding me? Why would you draft this guy? And then you want him to get hot for the fantasy playoffs? You're going to trust this guy playing his first football game in fucking 500 days as your fantasy starter for the playoffs? Why? Don't draft Deshaun Watson. He's QB 20 right now. What are you guys doing? Um, I looked up his numbers from the last full season that he played. So 2020 for the Texans, because obviously he didn't play a game last year. Last time he was involved in football, he was being drafted the QB5, finished the QB5 in 16 games, um, finished QB7 in points per game in 2020. He gave you um, a top six finish, 37%, 7th best. A top 12 finish, 63%, 7th best. And did not fall outside of the top 24 quarterbacks at all in 2020. He's an elite fantasy asset on a different offense with a worse defense. Um, There's just like no way to project what this offense looks like this year when he comes back. And it's too late in the season to be fantasy relevant. So let's move on. You're not drafting Jacoby Brissett, obviously. QB 33 this year. Career backup, solid backup, but not a guy you're taking in fantasy. And I have my concerns that he's not going to be able to support the receivers. Let's do the receivers right now instead of doing running backs. We'll do the running backs last because they're the guys you're probably most interested in. And that's uh, how I like to keep you guys listening. Um, Amari Cooper being drafted 59th overall wide receiver 24 this year. He's too inconsistent throughout his career, even in a good Dallas Cowboys offense for me to trust him on this Browns offense with Jacoby Brissett throwing him passes. He was being drafted 41st last year, wide receiver 15, finished wide receiver 27 last year. Again, on the Cowboys only played 12 games, but still 32nd in points per game at the receiver position. He is such a boomer bust player historically throughout his career. I just am done drafting Amari Cooper in fantasy, um, probably for the rest of his career. Uh, Finished a top 12 receiver in 20% of his games last year, 27th best. Uh, Finished a number two receiver, 13 through 24 on the week, 13% of his games, 45th best. That put him in the top 24 for fantasy in only a third of his football games last year. That is four out of 12 games, 34th most consistent in the NFL at the fantasy position. And he busted outside of the top 36 fantasy receivers on the week in 60% of his games. That's seven out of 12. Again, on a good Cowboys offense, he's still not getting it done. Don't know why would you why you would expect anything different here. He is always just a boomer bust guy to me. The other two guys not really being drafted, wide receiver 82 and 80 off the board for Peoples Jones and uh, David Bell. Bell's a rookie. There's no metrics to go over from last year. Um, Donovan Peoples Jones is a guy that was not being drafted last year at all. Uh, finished wide receiver 64 after an ADP of 85. Um, played 14 games for this team, 82 at the receiver position in points per game. He gave you two top 12 weeks. He's a big play guy. He's a field stretcher. He's a deep threat. I actually like Peoples-Jones from a talent standpoint, from an eyeball test standpoint. You know, he went super late in drafts after having a very, excuse me, in the NFL draft, in the real life draft, after having a lot of on-field production at Michigan, but testing poorly athletically. And I think he's an NFL receiver and a pretty solid, like, young, surprising 
upside building block for this team, but <clears throat> I'm not drafting him in fantasy again with the QB situation and the fact that he was so, you know, sparingly relevant last year. Finished top 24 in only two games. Again, those was those were his top 12 weeks where he caught long touchdowns at that high boom uh, potential. And outside of that, he didn't even finish top 36 in another 71% of his games. The tight end position... Let's run through it. Uh, Harrison Bryant's not really being respected as an option here in fantasy drafts. Tight end 51, which surprised me because I think he's a guy in his second year here for the Browns who, if David Njoku doesn't put it all together, he has potential to become maybe the starter for this team. I think he's a better blocker than Njoku. Njoku's being drafted tight end 17 this year, 157 overall. Neither of these guys have been drafted in years, Njoku, I don't think, has been drafted in fantasy since his second year in the league. And Harrison Bryant, obviously a rookie last year who's been irrelevant. Last year, Njoku finished tight end 22 in 15 games. Bryant finished tight end 39 in 15 games. Njoku, tight end 23 in points per game. Bryant, 48 in points per game. Uh, Harrison Bryant didn't give you any weeks inside the top 12 and only finished inside the top 24 in 37% of his games. Njoku gave you two top 12 weeks last year. Um, outside of that, he gave you four total inside the top, excuse me, three total inside the top 12. So 23rd best top 12 rate at tight end. We're just not interested. Njoku's the guy you're taking a flyer on maybe as your last pick if you want to just take a stab at a dart throw for the tight end position because he is very athletic. And maybe Brissett likes him. Like maybe he becomes Brissett's favorite receiver because those backup QBs, a lot of time they're just trying to look at the dump, like dump it down for a five-yard check down or whatever over the middle. That tight end maybe sees more volume. Let's talk running backs and let's get out of here, guys. Um, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Nick Chubb, I just can't draft for fantasy. He's always going too early for me to feel comfortable as a guy who's in a committee. This is essentially a 50-50 timeshare. As much as fantasy owners want Nick Chubb to be this elite option for them because he is an elite talent at the running back position, he's just not going to get it done at his draft cost for me. I actually have a draft tomorrow where I'm drafting ninth overall in my league, and it's a keeper league, so a lot of the top running backs are not available. The first rounds kind of turn into most leagues second rounds after the first few picks, and I'm going to be stuck staring down like a choice of like Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift, and Aaron Jones as my RB1 potentially. I just can't get behind the idea of Nick Chubb being my RB1 on my fantasy team with how much opportunity he loses to Hunt and how much passing game he loses to Hunt. And the fact that this offense should see less red zone, you know, opportunity this year with Brissett under quarterback, I think. Nick Chubb being drafted 15th overall, running back nine this year, 12th overall, running back nine last year, finished running back 13 in 14 games played, RB 12 in points per game last year. He gave you a top 12 week in half of his games. So that's seven out of 14 weeks. He gave you a top 12 finish. That was the eighth most consistent for a top 12 finish at running back. However, did not finish inside the top 24 outside of that. So he's either giving you that, that weak winning performance where he's going for 150 yards and two touchdowns, or he's kind of in that bust range there, finishing running back 25 through 36 on the week, 21%, and then outside the top 36, another 29%. 
So only half his games are finishing inside the top 24. That's 23rd best consistency rank for running backs when you're drafting him at running back nine. Can't do it. Just not consistent enough. If the work goes to Kareem Hunt on any given week, if the touchdowns go to Kareem Hunt on any given week, you're going to be left high and dry, relying on the rest of your roster to pick up the slack. Because Nick Chubb, if he doesn't get in the end zone, it's tough sledding. So I can't do it. He's being drafted too high for me as a guy that really is <clears throat> hes just not going to be consistent enough for your number one running back. Kareem Hunt, on the other hand, this year is being drafted is 76 overall, running back 29. Last year, he was being drafted 57th overall, running back 23. He only played eight games, so he finished 49th overall at running back, but he was 21st in points per game last year. And I have a little bit of a bigger look here. Um, between weeks one through six last year, Kareem Hunt running back nine for fantasy and PPR leagues, Nick Chubb running back 15. If you go to week five, where they each played five games there because Nick Chubb missed week six, Kareem Hunt through five weeks running back six for fantasy, Nick Chubb running back 12. So he's getting the passing work and he had the touchdown um, volume go to him early in the season. We actually saw Kareem Hunt outscore Nick Chubb for fantasy at times last year through a five or six week stretch. And the fact that you're getting him, what, six or seven rounds later in fantasy, to me, provides value there. So I'm in on Kareem Hunt if you can get him at that late point in the draft. I mentioned if he stays on this Brown roster, Browns roster, we know what his role is. And it's you know a top 24 running back, not the RB30 where he's being drafted. And we also know that if he does get traded to a team like Philly or any other running back needy team where he's going to have an increased role and opportunity, you know, the upside for Kareem Hunt to give you a top 12 running back finish is not out of the question. He gave you a top 12 finish on the week last year in 25% of his games, 25th most consistent, but he came up RB2 at 37.5%, eighth most consistent RB2 which put him in the top 24, 62.5% of his games, 18th most consistent top 24 running back compared to Nick Chubb only getting in there in 50% of his games. Um, Kareem Hunt busting at 37.5% outside of the top 36. So again, these guys are both going to have a high bust rate for you based on really splitting opportunities and splitting touchdown upside. Um, but I see Nick, or excuse me, I see Kareem Hunt being a much better value considering the draft cost going so much later in your fantasy drafts. And with that receiving upside, um, maybe a little bit safer of a floor as we see him finishing in the top 24 more frequently than Nick Chubb. If Nick Chubb doesn't give you the touchdowns, I think it's difficult for him to really return on his fantasy cost. So this episode actually went a little bit shorter than I thought um, because, the, again, the fantasy segment, it, it's just not really an offense I'm looking to target with Brissett being there. Again, by the time Deshaun Watson comes back, we're in week 13 of the season, and fantasy seasons only last 13, maybe 14 weeks, depending on what your league decide to do with the expansion of the 17-week schedule. So... You're just not, I'm not investing in the passing offense at all here, and Chubb's going too early. So give me Kareem Hunt or give me nothing here. You know, I didn't mention this is a, an elite offensive line. So the running game, you would think, despite, you know, quarterback play, should still be very good, I would think. And Chubb will still have, you know, weak winning performances. But I can't do it from the boomer bust potential there, like I said. The identity of this offense will be through that run game, especially with Brissett there, but will it become too one-dimensional and will the passing game just be irrelevant for us? That's kind of my concern. 
So, you know, Browns fans, if any of you want to let me know how you feel about this situation or this season, I am really curious. I, you know, it's a mixed bag of emotion here for, for a lot of you, I'm sure. Um, it'll be fun to follow. Absolutely. You know, I don't have much more that I can say here without getting canceled. It's a touchy subject, but I hope we did, you know, I did my best here. I hope you guys, you know, will take what I'm giving you here in this episode. I want to uh, thank you guys again for listening. That is it for our team previews, 32 up, 32 down. It has been a long six weeks here, but we have finally gotten through it. And we're getting ready, uh, like I said, 12 weeks from kickoff. I'm excited. We'll be getting you guys plenty of content, all of our win totals coming here on episodes. And we're going to be doing some individual video breakdowns on the Instagram page at SGR Pod. So please make sure you're following on social media, Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again, guys. I am going to wrap this up. Peace out and ramble on.